Ahoy, and welcome to the Open Journal Blogcast. Here we're going to be talking about mental health and all things related. That includes illness, wellness, stigma and support, and most importantly some of your very own personal stories. We're going to be covering projects, campaigns, education, starting conversations, and looking at some of the tools that support our well-being as well. I'm Mike, and while I'm being mindfully mindless, hopefully myself and my amazing guests will be able to show you you're not alone out there. These are real people. They do have struggles. And it starts to get on my nerves. I just shut down. So many people suffer from mental illness. To get the word out that men have got to start talking. So I told everything and her face dropped. A lot of people don't understand the depth of the situation, so Mm. they can't appreciate, yeah. It's difficult dealing with our minds, and the suicidal thoughts were back. People knew that there was something not right, but they just never really said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything. You're not depressed, it's it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most. I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard, it's exhausting. And I think people realise how helpful that one conversation can be just to figure out why you are feeling the way you are. Not only did this help me to write it, Mm. it potentially might have helped some other people as well. So it sort of started from there. So many people think they're alone. And then you hear other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, And then they want to talk about it. Ahoy and welcome to the podcast and to episode 224 of Open Journal. I'm delighted to be joined by two new guests today, Uh, Kieran and Joe are going to join us and we're going to have a a conversation about some of their work. But first off, I just want to have a quick mention for the Mental Health Blog Awards with the event coming up in around a month's time, just under a month's time now I think. Um, so if you haven't already, you can have a look at the website, which is mhblogawards.com and you can find out information about the event. There's, uh, some speakers and workshop information, um, and also a shortlist of the people that have been, well, shortlisted for awards at this year's event. So make sure you go and have a look at that because it's only, I don't know, yeah, three, four, five, I think about four weeks away. So it's not long now. So do go and have a look at mhblogawards.com but for today as I said I'm delighted to be joined by Kieran and Joe, and we're going to be talking about the work that they do at St Pancreas Clinical Research we're going to be touching on um, some of the kind of clinical opportunities to be involved with with researches with trials um, kind of the impact of some of those um, pieces of work as well so really interesting conversation a huge thank you to Kieran and Joe for coming on for sharing their insights and their experiences as well um, yeah really nice to have a, a slightly different focused conversation um, in this episode so I really hope you enjoy it as always if you are interested in coming on to the podcast in the future you can find information on the website which is openjournalbc so you can find some information there about being a podcast guest so i hope you enjoy this week's episode um i really enjoyed sitting down and having a chat with kieran and joe really interesting and insightful to hear a little bit more about what happens with uh clinical research and trials and, and yeah just have a better insight really so i really hope you enjoy this week's episode i enjoyed recording it again a massive thank you to kieran and joe here's our discussion so i'm really delighted to be sat down this week 
with uh, Kieran and Joe. Um, how are you both? I'm well, thank you, Mike. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, it's really nice. We've just been talking about the weather, our very British conversations, um, but we're hoping that nice warm weather comes back. Um, yeah, yeah, it's good. How how's the uh, how's it been over the last couple of days for both of you? Yeah, the clinic's nice and busy at the moment, so we can't really complain. Um, yeah, just uh, great to be here. You mentioned the the clinic there, so we're going to have a bit more of a, uh, I guess, a professional conversation. We're going to have a bit of an insight from you on some of the areas of kind of research and the work that happens. Very often, um, I'm very fortunate that we have guests come on and talk about their lived experience with mental health and with certain illnesses and symptoms. So it's going to be really interesting to have a potentially a slightly different conversation today to hear about some of the work that goes on to support people's recovery and the experiences that they've had as well um i wonder what is it like for for both of you kind of working within this field so yeah so 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 we work in um clinical research specifically phase two and phase three clinical research studies and um i know you touched on i mentioned mental health so joe and i um we work as part of what's called a patient engagement team and the, the term engagement will engage with people, a numerous amount of people on day to day, on a day to day basis um, via telephone calls, email chains, um, we also have sort of face to face consultations with them. And, and these, these are people sort of that experience um, a numerous, uh, a variety of different therapeutic conditions, um, whether it be cognitive related or it could be some form of physical condition. And, um, and yeah, just touching upon mental health, um, a number of conditions we see uh, mental health strongly ties in with them as either a secondary condition or even a, a primary condition to them. But um, it's, it's certainly something that, that we sort of see and discuss uh, with patients and engage with on a day-to-day basis. It's, it's interesting to hear because there's that, I guess there's some areas that you have that are very specific to kind of um, mental health and well-being but also other areas that maybe sort of overlap but that's not the kind of the particular area of focus um, because I know from from the website there's there's kind of other areas that you're involved in as well. Yeah so we have um, a real expertise in you know Alzheimer's and dementia and and mild cognitive impairment so what we can offer those people is you know different sorts of studies we're doing a long-term prevention study at the moment for people with a family history and then we're also taking part in a couple of studies in people who have a sort of milder um, stage of Alzheimer's and we do things like you know memory assessments and information visits so they can get a feel of the clinic and see the way that we work before they would actually come on to the study and then obviously if they did come on to the study with us then we would obviously follow their journey through the trial as well and we have chronic pain studies like in osteoarthritis and something called diabetic neuropathy which is sort of an, another chronic pain a sort of nerve pain but we're also moving into other fields like migraines and um, hay fever and things like that so we're constantly trying to um, grow and expand and see uh, what other therapeutic areas we can go into really it's really interesting kind of hearing you speak about some of those areas where from a I'm gonna from an uneducated point of view 
um some of those areas i would i guess from a also being quite stereotypical you say oh they're maybe lower level symptoms and um it's really interesting to see probably from your insight as to how the work you're doing can support people that are affected by that but also the potential overlap so when you're looking at like you mentioned like hay fever and things like that actually can that lead for some people into more um severe um or maybe more heavily affected situations whereas again from my point of view being unaware and uneducated on it um thinking i have i've had years where i've kind of had little bits of hay fever and i've been probably very um very low level affected by that and so my insight is is very much that that's my lived experience is is very minimal so there will be some people that are much more affected by some of those things and myself or maybe some of the other people that are listening as well yeah definitely and and i think um just to sort of touch upon strangely enough the way the last couple of weeks i've noticed sort of the online and and the memes flying around about people suffering with their hay fever badly at the moment Mm. um and and it affects some people in different ways some people may sort of describe your classic symptoms but then it can really affect other people and 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 the symptoms can be sort of moderate to extreme Mm. and and we're just there to sort of to help provide um, research as an option um, as I'm guessing uh, Mike someone such as yourself that suffers a hay fever you may take sort of hay fever medication and you may have had trips to your GP to sort of find out what's available to help you deal with deal with hay fever on a day-to-day basis so so what we try to do as part of a, a clinical research site is to help assist with unmet medical needs um, for I mean it could be sort of your, your day-to-day conditions to much more complex and life-changing conditions um if that if that kind of makes sense mm. yeah no it does it does it's it's interesting because yeah i think of um in terms of the hay fever i'm proper uh, i'm really that low level i'm that i'm very heavily affected one year out of five <laughs> um right. so, so my response to it is is not in the appropriate way as you've just mentioned it's to go i've just got to get through this um so definitely not a, a, a role model in that regard um but yeah it's interesting hearing that kind of that experience can be so different for people um and i think it does touch on some of those other areas where you mentioned things like alzheimer's the the chronic pain um we're looking at kind of the depression and some of the stuff that you've done there as well um things that i guess stereotypically we can see those as more um higher end maybe as as more people being in crisis around those so i think it is important to have that balance of actually there's lots of areas of our health that we maybe could or should be more proactive in seeking support or better information or education about um and that in part i guess is is what you're doing with some of the trials and the research to kind of uh have this evidence and involve more people within that process yeah i mean it's i think a large part of it is the fact that people don't know that there are other options out there and there are real sort of knock-on effects from you know having that good research structure in this country now i know that um out of all the countries in the world, we have the second largest number of you know, actively recruiting studies, which for our size and our population is, well, it's a really good place mm. to be in. And when we speak to people um, and see if they want to be a part of our trials and see if they might be eligible for our trials, we 
always tend to ask, you know, what their sort of motivation for getting involved is. And nine times out of 10, it's not, you know, to help themselves and their own condition, but to help other people later down the line and, and people who are going to go on and suffer from these sorts of things because they know that the experiences they've been through, you know, have been so difficult for them and they mm. want to do it, you know, for the greater good rather than themselves, which is really encouraging for us. It's re- yeah, it's really interesting because that was kind of one of my one of my questions was going to be around kind of who who does get involved in in the trials and the research and how does that um, fit with I guess the the potential recovery journey that they're already on as well. Yeah, so so with research, I mean, if we talk about research and clinical trials as a whole, um, near enough anybody can can take part and participate. So. There will be what we call healthy volunteer research studies, and these are usually seen or what's known as phase one um, clinical studies, and they tend to be male volunteers um, over the age of, of 18, of course. Um, it's rare you see clinical trials in paediatrics, but um, but yeah, so anybody can participate in research over the age of 18, and there are, there are a number of ways to do so, um, and we can discuss sort of links and website links um, a little later on. But um, there are different forms of clinical trials, and it's not all, you know, it's not all about Sort of taking or trying new new medications, whether it be um, oral-based medication or infusion or, or injection and so on. But um, but so yes, yeah, so Mike, just to go on from your question, sorry. So from sort of who could take part. So phase one clinical trials tend to be, as I said, healthy volunteers. And then um, here at St Pancras Clinical Research, we we sort of look at the more phase two and phase three studies. And these will be those that we will tend to see. Um, participants that have specific conditions that obviously we're running a trial for um, and, and we're trying to help them and guide them through the phase two and phase three phase of the research study and then when or if a study progresses to sort of the back end of phase four that's when um, it kind of it, it reaches the, the sort of the marketing side and, and a drug or medication is, is becomes available and becomes licensed um, on the market and this could be whether sort of you receive medication in your um, in your GP, pharmacy, hospital, um, sort of any to, to yeah, so any medication that's prescribed, and even something such as paracetamol, ibuprofen would have gone through this process um, at some point. But, um, but in terms of people sort of participating in research, so um, there were over seven hundred thousand people that took part in clinical trials across England alone from April 2019 to, to March 2020, um, obviously pre-COVID. And obviously as, a, as two people working within the field of um, clinical research and cl- clinical trials, we'd love to see this number increase. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear that and to hear the, I guess, like the point in that journey that you, you're sort of sitting. So if you're kind of the, the as you mentioned, like the stage two out of four stages, yeah. It feels like you're probably at quite a key stage there and you're quite involved with um, identifying some of those things that um, will be moving forward and some of the things that maybe need refining a little bit. So it must be quite um, interesting and rewarding for, for you guys to be working within that environment and that particular phase in, in kind of support development. Yeah, so uh, you're looking for different things at different stages. So when we're talking in like sort of phase two, we're still trying to find out, you know, is this safe and what is the best sort of dosage um, for it? So you might find yourself 
in a couple of different arms of the study based on, you know, these studies can have quite a complex design in order to find out these different questions that they're asking. Whereas when you get to the later stages, like in stage three, we know the dose that we want to use and we know what we think is going to be most effective. And again, it's just to see how effective that's going to be. Is it safe? And it sort of grows in, if you think about it, in a number of people that would take part in the studies. A phase three study can have thousands of people involved all across the globe. And these do things, these things do take a while and a drug can take a long time to come to the market. But I'd like to think, you know, that the people that were involved, when they hear about things like, I'm not sure if you have seen, so a new Alzheimer's medication just came onto the market in America that was part of some really large scale um, clinical trials. And those people who've been on that and been part of the, you know, the journey of that drug coming to the market and may have had, you know, the benefits themselves can look at that and be, you know, proud that they were a part of it as well. So we, when we speak with our participants, we don't want them to think, you know, you're going to be treated like a guinea pig. You know, we want them to think you're part of our team in a way and carrying out this study and want to treat them as such. Just just to elaborate on that, so sort of what Joe said in terms of a journey that these people would take, part of sort of mine and Joe's job role as patient engagement leads and coordinators is to fully inform a participant of what the trial will, will, will entail, start to finish, the kind of procedures, assessments we may do, um, their study visits, and we, we provide what's called patient information sheets, which is a full in-depth, in layman's terms, breakdown of, of the study, the drug, the mechanism of the drug and so on. Um, so, so it is really fulfilling and it's fantastic to see um, numerous different people, numerous different faces on a day-to-day -day basis and to inform them um, of, of clinical research and clinical trials within the UK. It's, yeah, it's really interesting. You, you sort of mentioned there, I guess, the scope of almost, almost the next stage. I think you're talking about kind of some of that stage three stuff where you're looking at like nationally or globally. The So the work that you're doing at the moment if if someone did want to get involved are there restrictions are there limitations are there is there a particular focus on on who you're looking for in terms of participants right great question um so with every clinical trial that comes through um there will be a protocol given by the sponsor or who will be the pharmaceutical company and with this will entail what's called an inclusion exclusion criteria now these are put in place to so purely to maximize and protect um, patient safety and to ensure that they are safe and eligible to participate on a trial so there will be limitations um, and it will completely vary independent from study to study but um, but patient safety and patient health um, will always come first and, it, and it's paramount to us and and our research so um, but yeah um, that, that's the best way to summarize it. I think just there are limitations and but it will it will vary and it will differ and where we have a broad sort of knowledge and expertise here if if one were to come in and want and was not suitable for a particular study say for example an Alzheimer's study we may have another two or three running at the mm -hmm. same time that will have different limitations in different parts of an inclusion exclusion criteria if not then we'll also inform them um, of studies that are up and coming and that we can get back in touch with them later down the line that's really good to hear I think obviously the kind of the positive best practice stuff but also that opportunity of if someone really wants to get involved and kind of be part of that journey that there is that option that like you say that there might be another 
opportunity through different researches or trials that you're going to be aware of that you can say oh well there's also this opportunity is that something that that would be fitting for that person I guess kind of linked into this like we've just had a year where kind of remote living working and learning has been happening um how has that impacted on on the work that you're doing and and just I guess kind of your your living and working lives but also when we're talking about the the research and the trials how has that then worked um have you had to adapt or has it been remote how how has that been over the last year we've definitely had to adapt so a lot of the patients when you know things were particularly bad with covid um they really didn't feel confident coming into our clinic i mean we're based at the barbican in central london so you know if we although we can offer door-to-door taxis some people you know rightly so still don't want to you know increase their exposure and you know their risk which we completely respect and even some of the studies were um, temporarily put on hold um, and some you know changed so they would have to wait for people to have had both doses of their um, COVID vaccinations Mm. Um, and when we're dealing with a particularly high risk population you know people with diabetes and Alzheimer's we want to protect them as well we would hate to you know expose them so we've had to put our own measures in place our um chief scientific officer um has you know some good contacts in you know infectious diseases who've helped us put in our own sort of covid procedures with hand sanitizing stations we're still wearing masks every day we do temperature checks we do regular testing um we're doing everything we can to try and you know, remain open this whole time. And I think we've done a very good job of that. But now we're starting to see things improve as people, you know, see what we're doing. And, you know, they've had their vaccines and we're able to still offer, you know, door-to-door taxis and things like that. And people are seemingly, you know, happy to, to come in right now. But for ourselves, I mean, I joined the company in July last year. And by that point, we were already coming back into the office but I guess Kieran you're probably better place to say you know what it was like at the start. Yeah so so at the start as, as Joe mentioned sort of, I know I see a lot of a lot of companies unfortunately had to close and and some probably have still remained closed um, but we had to sort of deal with it on a day a day by day basis with with guidance from from the UK government and and sort of how we could operate but um, but we would so obviously staff and and again like lots of companies some staff would work from home um, those especially medically and clinically trained would, would stay in but with all these high high and the best infection procedures in place and um, we just sort of followed UK guidelines and followed step by step in terms of how we could bring people into clinic and, and continue operating but um, but as a company as a whole and, and the staff and patients everybody's been fantastic start to finish and, and it's great to, to sort of have some form of normality back and see and see faces again. Yeah, I think that feels like it's it's that sort of time, isn't it, now where we're starting to see um, kind of more things uh, get back to being in person. Um, and I think over time you sort of build up your confidence in those different settings. And it's interesting hearing you talk about that, even providing that kind of door-to-door service and protection that's still something that um, some people wouldn't have felt comfortable with um so I do yeah I think that's going to be a long-term journey and I guess also 
dependent on who that person is and um, how they're affected by some of these things. Um, when we're looking at depression, when we're looking at maybe certain types of chronic pain, it might also be that there are those additional worries or concerns around um, what's going to be in place at, at different settings. Um, but really nice to hear about some of the things that you guys are doing as well and, and kind of keeping yourself safe and being able to continue to work um, throughout the last year and, and continue as, as much of those trials as possible. Yeah, what's been interesting as well, um, and and a change I think both Joe and I, Joe and I would say we've certainly noticed is that um, more people are aware of clinical trials now. And um, for example, the likes of AstraZeneca is now pretty much a household name. Um, people are aware of who they are, what they do, and um, sort of people would call in and, and we'd have interesting conversations about the clinical trial process because of the following the news and how um, research with the vaccines has really been the forefront of the news over the past mm. year, year and a half. Um, so that that's definitely something that, that I've noticed that has changed. Yeah, I guess that's going to be, uh, I suppose, a thing that is is kind of um, that public awareness, I guess, is higher at the moment. And I, I suppose that's a, a really good thing for you because hopefully it means that more people are, are talking about it and maybe looking into it if, it, if it's something that they feel able to do as well. How do you, or is there a plan to kind of utilise that public awareness at the moment? I guess um, I would say generally I, I feel like mental health has probably had a good good run of sort of three or four years where it's felt like it's been raised on, on the public agenda. Um, it does get more airtime. I would argue still not enough, but that's a, maybe a slightly biased opinion. Um but does it feel like actually this is a really important time to to get people to recognise and talk about and maybe get involved with clinical trials? I mean, yeah. So, so two points there. So one, in terms of sort of utilising on 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 research at the moment and people participating in clinical trials, um, with sort of with with annual statistics and with COVID nineteen, over five hundred thousand people have signed up to um, to hear about how to participate and be involved. Wow. COVID-19 studies um, and that can be found on the NIHR website and then sort of your second your second point with with mental health and depression being a well-spoken about area now which is fantastic and it's certainly an area that's growing um, it, it's a growing problem in the UK still with more affected now than ever but therefore with that there's growing areas and development in research surrounding mental health and depression. Yeah it's seeing that um, growth and I guess I guess you're kind of at that you're part of this journey where often I think when I speak to people we hear this kind of um, argument that there is kind of a lack of support or services um, and I think uh, I also work at a, a mental health charity so I kind of see some of the other side of um, sometimes there is that delay because you need the demand to be greater than the supply to yep. be able to evidence that and then get funding and then deliver that extra service so there can be that kind of timeline that takes place and I guess this is maybe more familiar to the work that you do where you see there might be a, a particular symptom or a particular illness that you're trying to tackle or help prevent or kind of minimise the impacts of but there's a journey there with with the trials and it does take time from kind of idea or concept to kind of actual product at the end. Yeah absolutely and I mean 
part of it is trying to actually reach these patients. So you obviously work with people with your mental health charity. I mean, we do some community outreach with, you know, the Alzheimer's Society and Diabetes UK. We've done talks with. So we're just basically trying to increase the awareness and mm. hopefully with that, that will lead to an increased demand. Now, I know that you <clears throat> obviously very open about speaking about your experiences and I imagine a lot of people that you, you meet are as well. Now, with that, there's obviously a lot of current research going on that maybe there wasn't a number of years ago in different sort of areas. So a lot of people you speak to are probably on chronic antidepressants and may not, you know, be happy with those medications, you know, just dulling their emotions. Whereas things that we're looking towards in the future are hoping to try and steer away from that. Mm. I mean, yeah, even just hearing that is very interesting because I can say from from my point of view, that was one of the one of the things I struggled with at certain times taking antidepressants was that idea that it was very much uh uh, it felt like it dulled things I was kind of being brought into line or into balance so while it was helping make sure that my lows weren't quite as low it also at times felt like I wasn't able to be as happy or as positive as I could be because I was trying to be kind of I guess um, like constrained to some sort of balance with my emotion so it's interesting to hear that's that's a potential area in the future for for looking at um I could, yeah I can't talk about other people's experience but I know that was that was something for me that I think at a certain stage in your journey once you're able to balance some of those lows you start to realize actually I'm um, some of the things that you're missing out on while you're taking that medication as well yeah definitely yeah it is it's an interesting point I think it's uh yeah it's different for everyone and I'd, it's it's yeah it's interesting just to hear that we go oh great there is there is different types of medication and I'm very aware there's quite a lot already um yeah. but to hear that actually it's not just a case of oh that kind of medication exists that's fine you kind of still look at whether well, there's still some symptoms that people are affected by or reasons why this doesn't work as well as it could um and that kind of investment in in the research um is still happening and taking I guess I don't know what you would call that I guess like um user exp- I don't know user experience or like yeah people that have taken that medication um listening to to their experience and taking that on board yep um we've covered quite a few different bits as, of uh, of the work that you do it'd be really interesting just to hear um just a little bit if you're happy to say like kind of why why both of you started to do this work and um what it means to you as kind of in the roles that you have why you're doing them and what you hope to do in the future yes so i have a scientific background i studied pharmacology in newcastle and then found myself working in a job that you know i really just wasn't very passionate about and wanted to be a doctor back in the day that didn't quite work out. So I wanted to try and, you know, want to help people with a sort of sciencey role in a way. And I basically looked through all of the stuff I did at university, um, like an early midlife crisis, and um, I had a look through and looked at my like clinical pharmacology module and really looked into it and researched the sort of career paths and the opportunities that are available 
and I find it really interesting, you know, to um, be part of these big advancements. And as I said, with the sort of patient experiences where they could be proud of the work that they've done to think that I could contribute in some way to help patients and directly and also indirectly down the line, potentially millions of people across the globe, that would be, you know, a big achievement in terms of my own personal development, you know. And, and I'd say probably from mine, so so when I finished my master's degree, um, I was in a job, probably similar to Joe, who wasn't entirely fulfilling and wasn't extremely happy in, and, and I've always had uh, a keen interest in science and sort of medicine and research. Again, wanted to be a doctor, but didn't take that route. Um, and and yeah, just sort of had a look into to clinical research and clinical trials, and that there are so many different elements and aspects to it, and it's a huge, it's huge on a global scale, and and it's great to be part of something that that could affect and could, could certainly change and have it have a positive impact on. On, on, on someone's life and, and you get to learn every single day. I think we learn something new every single day about a new therapeutic condition and there'll be conditions out there that we've never heard of. Um, you learn so many different things about medications, the benefits, side effects. Um, it's just it's, a, it's just a really interesting field and just, just day to day everything's different. And as I said, I think the big one is you learn something new and the, the, sort of the learning comes from either a colleague that sits next to you or behind you or it will come from somebody across the table to you. Um, it could be a participant, um, as I said, across the table. It could be over the phone and, and they could be telling you something completely new, something you haven't heard of before. That Yeah, that is so, it's so interesting to kind of hear a little bit more about what you're doing and um, kind of interesting kind of some of the similarities with, with your backgrounds. Um, and also hearing, I think for me, to hear about kind of the numbers and the, the vastness of the people that you work with, um, because I, I've seen some areas where there's kind of research and it, I think I always fall back on, I, I must have seen one like um, hair care product advert where it's like, oh, in the bottom corner, it says like research by 12 people or whatever. Yeah. And um, once you see it once, it's always in your mind. So it's really interesting hearing kind of the, like you say, the vastness of the people that are actually involved and the different kind of lived experiences that they will come with, the different physical reactions that they come with and knowing that um, kind of from, from, I guess my end, like once you're at that end of kind of having the option or considering medication, knowing how much it's been tested, trialed, um, that it's really accurate information that comes with that. Um, And also the vastness of opportunities to, be involved with different areas of research as well I think it sounds far more involved than I think um, definitely more than I would have thought but I think probably more than many of us would think or expect with that. Yeah and a a lot of people who do get involved feel like they're being a bit more proactive and actually taking charge of, of their condition whatever it may be and actually you know finding out the best way to to deal with that however it may be. Yeah, it does. Being honest, like it's not something that I would have ever really thought of before. It's not something I would have been massively aware of. Um, And even like you say, I've um, read some of the articles. I've watched some of the documentaries on on some of the the trials and stuff over the last year that have happened. Um, So, yeah, really interesting to hear a bit more. Um, 
we have mentioned the the different trials, the researches, some of the work that you do. Um, if people wanted to find out more about any of that stuff, um, where are some of the places that they could go and how can they get involved? So if somebody listening now or, or sort of knew somebody that had a condition that they thought this could be for them, they'd like to give it a go. Or um, we even have studies where people can have a study partner and they could come together, visit us together. Um, they could visit. So we've got our website, which is www.stpancreasclinicalresearch.com. We're also very active day to day on uh, social media. So just if one was to type in St Pancras Clinical Research on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter would come up, um, would come up on a Google search as well. And if if there was a specific area that, that somebody had or we, we weren't running a clinical trial for a specific therapeutic condition at the time, there's also clinicaltrials.gov. And this will give out a load of clinical trials across the UK. Um, it may be sort of more suitable and closer to somebody if they, they live further further out of London and maybe up north, uh, Scotland, Wales, Ireland, and so on. Um, and also uh, a website that we, we work closely with or a, an organisation of NIHR called Joint Dementia Research. Um, there are also clinical trials for those with um, early onset Alzheimer's, moderate Alzheimer's, um, mild cognitive impairment as well. But um, but yeah, St Pancras Clinical Research on a on a Google search and um, we'd pop up. Awesome. I think yeah, it definitely sounds like something I think will be worth people having a look at. And like you say, if it's a case of there's not something happening at the moment, or maybe they're they're a bit further away um links to other things as well so you kind of mentioned the the london base for a lot of things if people were outside of london are there some things they can get involved with you guys or would you be signposting to somewhere else so as i mentioned you know we are able to provide reimbursement for travel and we can also offer hotel stays for people as well um so it would have to depend on the distance but there are Mm. other you know private research sites you know up and down the country that um may be may just happen to be in people's area and they may have had no idea about it so something to definitely look into but we do get patients from um we've had people come over from ireland in the past yep. we've had people come down from um sort of stockport manchester area Plymouth, had, yeah Wales. all over like norfolk and the, the southwest and midlands and all over the shop really we're able to to help these people thankfully and this, this is a great thing as well on, on their behalf people willing to commit and and attend these study visits and and for the sake of obviously themselves and and for the research yeah yeah again really interesting to kind of hear that insight of the some of the travel that people are doing as part of that as well um is really interesting as well uh yeah a big thank you to both of you for for kind of coming on giving Um, a little bit of insight to the work that you do and into um, some of the different trials research opportunities that are available for people Um, definitely worth having a look and I think even if this isn't something for you at the moment um, a really nice mention earlier there of like the social media channels and things like that it might be something that you can share with a a friend or a colleague um, or just follow anyway um, and be aware of some of the opportunities that come up in the future Um, But a massive thank you, Kieran and Joe, for for coming on and providing some insight to all of the work that's going on at St Pancreas. Mike, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much for having us on.
These are real people. They do have struggles. And it starts to get on my nerves. I just shut down. So many people suffer from mental illness. To get the word out that men have got to start talking. So I told everything and her face dropped. A lot of people don't understand the depth of the situation, so they can appreciate, yeah. It's difficult dealing with our minds, and the suicidal thoughts were bad. People knew that there was something not right, but they just never really said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything. You're not depressed, it's, it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most. I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard, it's exhausting. And I think people realise how helpful that one conversation can be just to figure out why you are feeling the way you are. Not only did this help me to write it, Mm. it potentially might have helped some other people as well. So it sort of started from there. So many people think they're alone. And then you hear other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, And then they want to talk about it.